Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam, and I'm Zach. And Adam, I just I wanna I wanna I wanna let you know something. Okay, what, what do you gotta let me know? It's a, I know places. You know places? Yeah, places out of the woods, places where you can <laughs> shake it off in style. And frankly, I wish you would. You want me to shake it off with style? Yeah, because I think I feel like there's been this bad blood. Uh, that's beyond my wildest dreams, really. Uh, uh, and I just want, I want things to be clean. I want like a blank space for us to just deal with this, you know, this love, this whatever you want to call it that we put into this podcast. And then I don't know how to how to really go from there. I mean, it's just like I know we want to keep going this and all you had to do was stay really, Adam. That's all you have to do to keep this podcast going. I'm here. I, I didn't go anywhere. Oh, well, then welcome to New York. Are you just quoting? What are you doing? I don't know what you're doing. I'm trying to tell you how to get the girl. I, are these Taylor Swift songs? Are they? The, what are these? That's, that's, that's the song title. It's a very Taylor Swift song on uh, her 1989. Autumn, 1989. 1989. Okay. Yes. Do you, I, you, understand, I, you understand now what I was doing. There's some people. And I'm not going to name names. There's some people who don't like our bits, but they don't understand that they're for me. Mostly, that was a that was a smart bit. And if I was more of a Swifty, I probably would have gotten that. But unfortunately, uh, you know, my knowledge of Swift's uh, discography begins and ends with the singles. So I'm not, uh, I'm not a Swifty either. I'll I'll say I'll say that for sure. And I won't say that that bit was well executed. <laughs> But I enjoyed it. <laughs> well, it's a good lead in because we are talking about the magical year of 1989 on this episode. Uh, Taylor Swift aside, lots of crazy good comics that year. And um, we are, you know, going to talk about a couple of different things, which kind of launch us into the 90s. And uh, one thing that many of our listeners may not have even heard of. So this is a pretty exciting episode. Yeah, I think last episode we teased that there was a the most obscure comic we've ever done mm-hmm. i think that's yeah. neat. i still hope <laughs> it that. is people i saw chatter on the interwebs which is weird because y'all i love you love you so much normally this is not the x-men podcast that gets interweb chatter and that's fine <laughs> you do it you do it for the love of the show but i did see interweb chatter that was like oh i bet they're call- covering fallen angels too and folks Still do not have a complete version of any issue of Fallen Angels 2. Still working on it. Did find new art this week. Very excited. Uh, longtime listeners, did I ever talk about my Fallen Angels 2 project on here? You, you've definitely have mentioned it before. And you did uh, just find two uh, additional covers, at least pencils for them, right? Well, everything's almost everything's pencils. There's a few inked things in general, but these are, these are one pretty finished pencil cover, one little bit of a rough. That's beyond the point. Someday in 10 years, when I finally sit down with Colleen Duran and Mary <laughs> Duffy, we can talk or Jim. Sh- Do you want to, I wonder if Jim, we don't need to talk to Jim shooter right now. I got to get, I got to get the primary sources first. Uh, there's a lot of people we could talk to, but that is not the obscure comic we're talking about today. In fact, we're going to keep you in suspense. That's Until right. the end of the episode, or unless you check the episode notes, it's not actually going to be very helpful. I The episode notes, now that I say this, it'll tell you the name of the story we're doing, but you haven't heard of it. So, Yes, but hopefully we can uh, link people and point them in the right direction. But we are going to start in a place uh, where m- most people are familiar with, and uh, we're going to start with some Uncanny X-Men. Uh, who requested this, Zach? Mitch. Hey, Mitch. Mitch did. I don't. I don't know this particular Mitch. I don't believe. I know. I've known my share of Mitches. Um, <laughs> Not this Mitch. But it could be this Mitch. If if this is my friend Mitch Wiss, who I went to college with, great. I weird that you listen to the show, buddy. But I appreciate it. I don't <laughs> think it's that Mitch. However, this Mitch is special because this Mitch went over to Patreon.com/slash/ComicsXF, reached deep 
into their hearts and pocketbooks and tossed a couple of coins into our coffers. I tell you what, keeps the site running, keeps everything going, keeps keeps the fun alive on this here place and keeps our podcast minds just churning out that new content. So, Mitch, if you want to be like Mitch, do the Patreon thing. Do the Patreon thing, folks. Come on, come on. Do the Patreon <laughs> thing. The line's still not very long. We can still get you in in like six a months. six month window. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. That's the... that's pretty good. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, Mitch wanted us to talk about that time that Wolverine got crucified. Didn't yeah, Uncanny X Men two fifty one and two fifty two. Uh, this is at a point in nineteen eighty nine where the book is coming out uh, twice a month, as advertised on the cover. Now on so, sale. Do you know why they, uh, well, the bi-monthly thing in general was to push X-Men sales because it was big. Uh, but do you know why specifically at this time, a lot of Marvel books did multiple, uh, multiple issues in November of 1989? There, I, isn't there like a weird publishing thing where they had to do it? They had to catch up with the, the months, uh, so what was the deal with this? I, I remember it's, it's a weird, interesting thing. So, you know how, well, one, because they were periodic or comics or periodicals. And at this time were taxed and handled very, very much like a magazine. Right. There were very specific laws about how you distribute a monthly periodical, things like this, how you have to use the index Indica, uh, a lot of that. And what most publishers would do is like when you have a car, a new car, if you buy a car today, Adam, you're buying a 2023. Correct. It's not the year 2023. No, but you're it's buying so it. That, right. So that when the car sits on the lot for a bit, it still feels newer because it's 2023. <laughs> That's yeah. how things work. And publishing is the same. You want something that has a June date to still be like around in June and not feel not feel old, especially if it's like a late June publication. Mm -hmm. So they had it, they had it prorated, I believe, or not prorated, but they had it backed up. I believe at this time, four months. And there was a shift to three months, which I believe is the standard. So that was all it was, right? They were just playing catch up. Yeah. They did a weird thing about catch up. Now, could they have skipped a month? I honestly don't know the laws about periodical distribution in the late (laughs) eighties to tell you enough. I just know that's what I read once. Mostly yeah. around this issue that has an incredible cover of Wolverine crucified on a St. Peter's cross by Mark Silvestri and Dan Green. And it rules. Yeah. Not only is he crucified on this giant X, he is uh, on top of a mound of skulls. Vultures are uh, flying around. The Not the person, X-Men the logo. vulture. It's no. t- the creature. Right. And it is pouring rain just so that you really understand Wolverine's suffering. And that's uh, some John Romita Jr. looking rain right there. <laughs> it really is. doesn't quite have the shaving cream, uh, like rain bouncing off of the surfaces, but uh, the rest of it sure does. Right. So at this point, we are wrapping up the Australia era. The Aussie era is coming to an end. We're getting into the Siege Perilous stuff uh, that will wrap up Claremont's run. And uh, because we are doing twice a month, you know, we're moving at warp speed with with this publishing schedule. So the art is uh, maybe not to Silvestri and Dan Green's highest caliber. What what do you think about the art in this issue? This first one. It's not the best Silvestri. It's not the worst. It's not the worst. One, we're doing, by the way, we're doing Uncanny 251 and 252. Uh, the first one is by Sylvester and Green. The second uh, is Leonardi and Kent Williams. Um, it, Wild which, combo, which we will get into. The Kent Williams inks on Leonardi. <laughs> Weird. So wild. So wild. It's like seeing, it. it'd be like seeing today, I say today like, the inker I'm about to say was not a contemporary of this time. Um, but it'd be like seeing a, uh, shoot, what's his name? He did uh, Amazing X-Men. McGinnis. It'd be like seeing Ed McGinnis inked by Bill Sienkiewicz. <laughs> I <laughs> well, don't you know kinda, what that would be, but yeah, it'd be a lot kinda, like this. 
get that feel when uh, Sienkiewicz inks Andy Kubert a couple times uh, in the 90s. And um, it is a very wild look. Um, so for those who haven't read these issues, um, this is Donald Pierce taking his revenge against Wolverine. And, and uh, Reavers. He- He's introducing Wolverine to his Reavers and Lady Deathstrike, all of whom have devoted their lives to getting revenge on Wolverine because, well, uh, you know, some of them are Hellfire goons who Wolverine cut up. Some of them just, you know, have lifelong uh, vendettas against Wolverine, whatever it is. You know, the Reavers are these fun machine people. (laughs) Who, uh, you know, they all really just want, to torture Wolverine. And uh, I, I do love, there is this great moment after Donald Pierce introduces the Reavers to Logan, where Logan looks up at Donald Pierce and says, I'm impressed. <laughs> and Donald Pierce is so pissed off. It's, it's great. The Reavers are kind of great. Adam, you know how I'm not an action figure guy. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, not your thing. Why do I have a bone breakers head right here? <laughs> from the reavers uh, did he come with another figure like was he yeah, a build a fig he's he's a build a fig for the current x-men marvel legends which had a maggot in it so i did have to get a maggot but the reavers rule kind of kind of depends on which ones we're talking about you know i'm like, talking it, about Bonebreaker and Skullbuster. those are the ones i'm talking about and lady deathstrike everyone else and eh. Bonebreaker and Skullbuster rule I do appreciate the Hellfire Goon thing with Cole and Reese. Um, I appreciate how petty Claremont was about Wolverine doing the coolest thing ever and just (laughs) murdering a bunch of dudes in that story, a story that made Wolverine Wolverine. And then Jim Shooter being like, no, we have to bring them back. And then Claremont was like, okay, they're back and they're cyborgs now. And then he's like, (laughs) actually, this is a story. Now I'm just going to have these guys that just really hate Wolverine for cutting them up yeah what's the guy is it is it pretty boy the one the one who has cables coming out of his eyeballs he he's really not that great um well because his his deal is that he's a pretty boy and then he becomes progressively less pretty right <laughs> but uh you know sylvester's drawing death strike here which is always a pleasure to see and wolverine is just having a, a straight up trip man he is having this fever dream and uh envisioning all of these characters from his past uh and also getting a window into what may have happened to the rest of his x-men comrades yeah this is an interesting one now claremont especially in the australian era and right around here started to use a lot of like symbolism and dream logic in mm-hmm. his characters to talk about their emotional states. You see that with Psylocke in the next couple of issues when there's the whole Quanon uh, stuff. You see that with Longshot not too soon before this. Uh, when he leaves the team, you see it with who are we with Maddie Pryor. Yeah, like, this is a Inferno. constant recurring motif that Claremont is doing in '88 and '89. It's interesting to see this happen with Wolverine, who is just kind of going through it. Uh, he's struggling. He realizes that the X Men have been—I don't want to say manipulated, but absolutely manipulated—by Psylocke to go through the Siege Perilous and give up all their identity so that they don't die. Uh, but Wolverine gets left behind and the Reavers uh, capture him and because they're mad that they that Wolverine kicked him out of their house in Australia. <laughs> yeah, that's a big part of it. So um, as we were introduced to in uh, the annual, the Atlantis Attacks annual, Jubilee is here on the scene and bearing witness to this awful occurrence of uh, of pain and agony. And uh, wouldn't you know it, she is going to help Wolverine uh, get off of this. Well, Wolverine gets himself off the cross, but Wolverine, Wolverine slowly, very slowly rips his body off of the crucifix. It's very, very cool. Yeah, because originally he is tied to it, but the Reavers do go back out and nail him with these gigantic wooden stakes to the 
uh, to the X and Wolverine is like, all right, I'm getting off of this thing now. I've had enough. It's, is it weird that Claremont doesn't lean into the Jesus imagery more here? Um, I don't expect him to, you know, that's not. Wolverine would be a weird choice for it, but it's just, I understand more than one crucifixion happened on the day they crucified Jesus even. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Famously three, but Mm. also (laughs) that is the most famous crucifixion. And it's, it's, it's kind of a long distance to number two. Well, uh, in the second issue, as we noted, we get the, um, the amazing Rick Leonardi back inked by Kent Williams. And it is a very strange combination, but it also, you know, whereas the Sylvester issue is a, a little bit loose in terms of its art, it tightens up and it actually gets a little bit more graphic and bloody, I think, in the way in which it's being depicted. Um, Wolverine is very confused about who this Jubilee person is. He is having hallucinations that will carry on for many issues of Nick Fury and Carol Danvers. And the Reavers are just trying to, you know, trying to kill these guys. And uh, luckily they're able to escape uh, despite, you know, Donald Pierce sending the whole group after them, including some like robot dogs. Donald Pierce's robot dogs now. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, that's basically the story. Uh, it's interesting to go back to this. And, you know, I remember the Australia era so fondly, but it is interesting to see just how kind of loose and almost experimental this starts to get as we go into the Siege Perilous era. And some would argue, and I'd say rightly so, the Siege Perilous era drags in some parts. There are story elements that are better than others. But it's a bold move. Claremont is absolutely trying something here. I like that he's setting up Wolverine with a new uh, new sidekick in Jubilee that Claremont will eventually learn to write uh, better. And then, more importantly, Larry Hama will learn to write better. Uh, and we have a lot of fun in this, um, but I, I would say the cover is easily the most memorable thing about this story. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, strangely enough, the Sylvester issue doesn't work as well for me as the Leonardi issue, you know, normally it's Sylvester who's, who's doing the classic art here, but, uh, that second issue feels a little more visceral because of the, the artwork. Um, but again, not a lot is happening here. The, the most important thing story-wise is that is part of Wolverine's visions. He does see that Psylocke and, you know, and Havoc essentially get everybody to agree to go through the Siege Perilous. And then it appears uh, that Donald Pierce destroys the Siege Perilous. So you really don't know what's about to happen next. And we don't find out for uh, a few issues anyway. We don't find out about Havoc for like a year. Yeah, until Extinction Agenda. So, uh, you know, it's it's Claremont taking some chances, and uh, I enjoy this, but uh, I don't think it is, you know, at the heights of what maybe that rest of that era had to offer. Well, we'll talk about the highs and the lows of that era on our big old list, because that's what we have on this podcast, Adam. Do you know how many X-Men stories we've ranked? Uh, 600 and something or other. 678 on the road to 700. Wow, we're cl- we're getting close again to another merit, uh, another uh, milestone. Wow. Adam, we're always on the road. We're on the road again <laughs> and we cannot wait to get back out there on the road again. Yeah. On that road to 700, uh, the number one story is House of X Powers of 10, the number 100th story is X-Men slash Alpha Flight. Uh, number 200 on this list is X-Force 1 and 2, a force to be reckoned with. Uh, number three on this list, 300 on this list, excuse me, is the X-Men to Protect and to Serve Anthology Series. Uh, that's one we haven't thought about in a while. Number 400 is ROM, 17 and 18. You ever think about ROM the Space Knight? All the time. Constantly <laughs> thinking about ROM the Space Knight. Number 500 is Dazzler, 38. That's when she fights the X-Men. Number 600 on this list. I tell you what, it's X-Men Survival Guide to the Mansion. Ooh. Which is spiral bound, has great art. Uh, number number six seventy eight is the Draco. Hey Adam, how do you feel about this compared to the Acts of Vengeance stuff, where Psylocke becomes 
the Psylocke we know. Where do we have that on the list? Uh, that's pretty high, isn't it? We have that at, I don't know. Hold on. Acts of. Yeah, 140, yeah, right? We have that at 140. This is not this as is, good. No. Hey, hey, Adam, when we finally yeah. do, when we finally do the ranking issue, we should probably put that time. I mean, you'll put Red Skull on a hole above above the X, Uncanny <laughs> X-Men Acts of Vengeance. I keep thinking about that time Red Skull got put in a hole by Magneto. It, it gets better a, as you sit with it. Yeah, it's it's a really nice moment. Um, I am looking all the way down at 301 at the cocaine arc of Wolverine. Is Not this better? And I don't think it is. I mean, it has the classic cover, but... Um, I think we're we're probably in this era. I do think this Adam, is... you know how you know how all the deviants came to Krakoa recently? Yes, yeah. Uh they spoilers, they... spoilers for the latest issue of Axe Judgment Day. But you Number know how three. all the deviants came to Krakoa? Do you I think, do, yeah. Do you think Spore, the deviant that was uh that was a sentient pile of cocaine, ended up there? Wait, Spore is a deviant? I had no idea that. I, that yeah, Spore's a deviant. a deviant, buddy. That's crazy. Uh, that'd be really funny if uh, Spore was just floating around. <laughs> Jeez, um, I love that arc where Wolverine fights cocaine. No, it's not as good as that. Uh, I, I think this might be better than Wolverine Noir at 312, though. Yes, at 307's Here Comes Tomorrow. This isn't better than Here Comes Tomorrow. No, I don't think it is. Um do you think it might be better than the trial of Hank McCoy at 309 though? I Magneto is better at 308. So this can be our new 309. Great. All right. I think that's a good place for it. Um, definitely a memorable moment cover, but maybe not as successful as two issues. Um, so it's still 1989. Uh, I'm still nine years old. You're not born yet. And where are we going next? Well, we're going to uh, check in on the hottest young artist in the comic sphere. That's right, it's Jim Lee. Uh, That's Jim right. Lee in 1989 was drawing a Wolverine, but not in the book uh, X-Men or Wolverine or anything like that. No, he was drawing him in Karl Potts' The Punisher War Journal. And so we we did neglect to mention that in uh, Uncanny 251, the cover is by Jim Lee. So, um, and, it is by, and by Jim. The, and by the time that issue had come out, there was already Jim Lee's first issue uh, of X-Men where they were trying him out. But before that, this is the book he got real popular on, Publisher Punisher War Journal 6 and 7. And can it be that it took till 1989 to get Punisher and Wolverine in the same book? Well, what you got to remember is that Punisher wasn't the most popular guy. He was still popular. But like the 80s, it, it took a bit from when Punisher's introduced for Punisher to like click, right? Yeah, no, that's true. You know, because he goes from this like Spider-Man antagonist and then it's really not until I would say the mid to late 80s, right? When is his solo series start? That's what I was checking. 85 is when the 85. first Punisher miniseries comes out and that's a five issue. Yeah. And then the... Then the then the Punisher run that runs until the end of the 90s. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that one starts in 80, 87. So right before War Journal. Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, Punisher at this point is, you know, street level thugs. He's going to take out crime families. And he's still very and the government. Much, and the government. Yeah. He's very much into, you know, fighting the man. Um, trying to keep the streets clean as, as best he can. So there, there is a bit of nobility in what Frank is doing. Um, but of course it always involves Uzis and killing random, like dozens of people who some of them may not deserve it, but it's, it's the Punisher. And I don't want to do Punisher discourse on here. (laughs) Folks, we don't need to judge if the Punisher is worth publishing or not, or anything like that. If you want to read a Punisher story, you know what you're getting into. I think I think that's like you got to know if the Punisher is right for you. Well, and it's it's a it can be, as we mentioned, I think last week, it can be a silly premise as this story is pretty darn silly because Frank is tired and his buddy in a chair microchip decides that to take a vacation. What should Frank do? (laughs) 
Oh, uh, Frank Castle, the Punisher. Yes. Uh, uh, Franklin Castiglione. Uh, <laughs> he should go hunt dinosaurs in Africa. <laughs> dinosaurs. I'm sorry. It's Francis Castiglione. Oh, well, you know, we got to get that right. So uh, he's the, he's Italian. I should have known it was Francis. That's on me. So the premise here, uh, Carl Potts is writing this story. Jim Lee is, is drawing and inking this. Um, and Jim Lee is not Jim Lee yet. Would you agree with that? Like he's, he's about almost Jim Lee though. He's, he's almost there. He is a year away from doing some of his career defining work on X-Men and just like leveling up to a, to a Godhood. Right. Um, he's not quite there yet. You know, like his, his, the body movements of his characters are still a little bit stiff. He he's, he's not quite there. And, you know, he's not experimenting with layouts or doing anything, you know, out of the ordinary. He hasn't paired up with Scott Williams yet, but we're still getting a taste of just how good Jim can be. Uh, because our, our basic premise here is that Frank is going to tag along with a group who is going to somewhere in Africa. I don't know if they ever really specify where that Listen, is. Listen, it's this, it is the Republic of the Congo, actually. Congo. Congo. Okay. Okay. Uh, they are going to hunt down like Brontosaurus, who lived there for some reason. Uh, there have been there have been dinosaur spottings in the Congo, and there are some interesting people who don't know the Savage Land exists. Meanwhile, Wolverine is hunting down a uh, a group of poachers who are skinning wild animals like leopards, and of course. Wolverine hates poachers that's right weird i don't want to say it's weird it is a defining character trait of his since like day one that he's like very respectable like respectful of animals he will hunt and kill an animal if he needs to but like he does not care for the fur industry let's say uh no, no, he does not. So we have Wolverine hunting down what he thinks is going to be a poacher. You have the Punisher trying to figure out uh, a mystery um, because it seems like as part of this group, there's someone up to no good looks for the dinosaurs for the wrong reasons. And when you're looking for dinosaurs, folks, it has to be for the right reasons. It's That's just so like important. the bachelor. It's got to be there for the right reasons. You got to be there for the right reasons. (laughs) So when they do finally meet, uh, they both think that each other are the villain. They, they go at it for a little bit before realizing they're both dumb dumbs. Um, and then they go at it hard too. It's like, this is not a normal superhero meetup fight. This is the Punisher and Wolverine doing their hardest version of a superhero meetup fight. And it kind of rules. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Wolverine's got his claws out. He is ready to, you know, cut uh, uh, some arteries and, and and drown the Punisher, it looks like, at the end of issue six. Uh, the Punisher, likewise, is just, you know, he's re- he's out to kill, too. There's some questionable, like, weird stuff in here about the expedition in the Congo interacting with uh, the locals um, that has aged poorly. They're... They're these these white hunters are respectful of of the people there, but it doesn't seem like it's informed by any real understanding of any culture. I do not believe like I, I read this with a critical eye and where I come down on it is I think Carl Potts was trying to be respectful of these people. He also has no idea anything about these people. So he's like, right. I don't want to like make fun of them, but I also do not understand anything about uh, the Congo or yeah. any of the peoples in it. No. So it's like, on one hand, points for trying, <laughs> especially in 1989. Not a lot of people were trying that. We've read the Jungle Adventure. We know we know when this can be less ideal. So in comparison, I'm like, okay. This could have been a lot worse. Still could have been good, though. You still could have done it good. So anyway, it does turn out that the uh, beautiful wife of the guy leading the expedition and her uh, henchmen are the ones who are not only responsible for trying to um, kill and 
poach the dinosaurs, but are also responsible for the murder of a, a boy that uh, found out what they were up to. So, um, do you, you think, know, do you think do you think Francis Castiglione takes takes kindly to boy murderers? Oh, he does not, and uh, we we see how that plays out because he uh, does kill one of these uh, two people, and I think does he shoot the other one too? Yeah, he's the Punisher. He he does make sure that they are not breathing anymore. Yes, Wolverine. I mean, excuse me. Uh, Frank does leave the the henchman tied up in a leopard skin so that animals will come and eat him. And yeah, we see his desiccated skeleton at the end of uh, of the issue. So listen, it's <laughs> again, it's a Punisher comic. You know what you're getting into. You're going to see bad people get their just dues from the Punisher. Yeah. So uh, the actual like interaction time between the two characters is, uh, if you think about it in real time, it's not really that long, but you do get enough of their interaction for Wolverine to like, you know, cut through one of Frank's giant guns and Punisher to punch Wolverine's face only to realize that it's adamantium and go, ouchie. So it's fun. It's exactly the comic that it says it is on the tin. Like, it is, if you want to read the first time Punisher and Wolverine met, check those boxes. This comic has it all. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, got a, it's got a part where Frank's just wearing a black shirt where the sleeves have been blown off. Uh, <laughs> and he finds some chalk because it's about to be Punisher time. And before he does Punisher time, he makes a skull out of chalk on his shirt. And it rules. Yeah. <laughs> it's really silly. There, really he is silly. nothing but consistent with his branding. He's got to put the skull on the tank top. Um, He's got to so, put the skull on it. He's like, no, this is mine. This is my skull. Yeah. So if you've uh, never checked out, you know, Jim Lee pre uncanny, this is a good, you know, thing to look at. And uh, also kind of a fun interaction. Cause you know, I do think the main attraction is seeing the evolution of Jim's art and seeing him draw Wolverine for the first time, which is pretty mm-hmm. exciting. It is. It is very exciting. Uh, and you can just like the covers on this series for the next little bit are all by Jim for the most mm-hmm. part. And you can see him. You can see him level up very quickly in that time. Like by the time you get from issue seven to issue 19, where somebody rented a jet ski to the Punisher. <laughs> uh, and they got to kiss that baby goodbye. Yep. When you get to that point, you can see, oh, this is Jim Lee now. Like, this oh, is yeah. Jim Lee. Where six oh, yeah. and seven, you can tell this is going to be Jim Lee. Yeah. So uh, definitely worth checking out. And um, But I, I do think that the, the whole sort of like African quest is, I don't know how well that's really aged. Um, oh, not... Not super. No, no. Uh, Is this the best Wolverine poaching story we have on this list? Well, we have another one that's I remember not being very good at all and being kind of low on the list. So I do appreciate uh, Logan's initiative here, at least. Yeah, because 406, that's Come Conquer the Beasts. That's that Savage Wolverine story. Is this better than that? Yes. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, even if we just look at it from an art perspective, I I think it is, but you know, it's, I don't think it's that good, you know, if we're, we're looking at it from anything other than an art perspective. So I certainly don't think it's as good as the fever dream we just talked about. Adam at 401 is ROM 17 through 18 hybrid. Hmm. Well, Right above that is Extinction Agenda, in which Jim Lee's art is some of the best of his early career, I mean, or or even his entire career. So I can't put this ahead of Extinction Agenda. We can't. It is shorter than Extinction Agenda, and it doesn't yeah. have it doesn't have Rick Leonardi doing just some of the absolute worst art he's ever done. Poor Rick, uh, whose art yeah. I do really enjoy elsewhere. Um, I do think this is probably better than Savage Wolverine six to eight hands on a dead body. How do you feel about it compared to that Captain Britain story? Captain Britain in the MI 13 one through four where they, uh, what do they do? Oh, they stopped the scroll invasion. This is, this is more fun than that. I think this is better than that. Yeah, <laughs> this is better than that. Um, let's make it, let's make it 
402 right under ROM. Great idea. I think that's a wonderful place for it. And drum roll, please. We are going to talk about the, as promised, most obscure X-Men story we've ever talked about. And that's mainly because it was never published. You're right. Now, we have we have talked about things on this podcast about we want to make sure so far everything's been official. Everything has been a Marvel Comics. Yes. We have stretched that on occasion, one way or another. But it has all been official Marvel Comics comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is not... And a- it, they are all finished. That's the other thing. They are all actually comics with words in them. Yes. Like, so we could read is- it and say, I know what this story was. So this is a fully uh, penciled issue with letters and sound effects. Uh, really, the last two steps that it is missing are its inks and its colors. And uh, this was a, basically a, a fill-in issue for the Aussie era. And mm-hmm. um, what is this? What is this thing, Zach? Let's introduce this. Yeah. So this is called family ties. Like Adam said, this was an inventory issue uh, for the way it's written, either uncanny X-Men or X-Factor. Yeah, it really uh, could be either. It, it flips either way because it's really a Cyclops and Havoc story. So with uh-huh. both of them being in their teams, they had these. Now, Marvel at the time, uh, because they were keeping a very strict monthly schedule uh, for their books, they did have a few issues that they would that they called inventory issues that they would backlog and say, we are going to publish these when we need to, if we need a fill-in. Uh, and you'll see that in like major runs, there'll be a one-off issue in the middle of things that is very much a fill-in. Like uh, that weird story in New Mutants where Amara meets Hercules? <laughs> Yeah, or in the middle or of that weird story in Thor where Hercules is there also? A yeah. lot of weird Hercules villains. You know, or in the middle of Judgment Day and X Factor, um, you just have that random Archangel story. So these things are sitting around in case the, the regular story needs to play catch up. And uh, this one is drawn by the incomparable June Brigman. Uh, I guess it was intended to be inked by Bob Wyacek. Um, and it is written by Michael Higgins. Yeah. Um, this is odd, right? It's very odd because it is a, uh, I mean, we, we should just get into spoilers here. It is a sequel to the long ago at this point, Moses Magnum submergence of Japan story. What does Moses Magnum and his mandroids have against Japan? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but the story starts with uh, Sunfire having been abducted by Moses Magnum to generate enough energy to, again, destroy Japan. Hey, can we talk about this opening splash page? Because June Brigman kills it on the pencils here. Oh June my Brigman. gosh. June Brigman, uh, throughout this uh, this penciling of this issue, just proves that... She's an amazing artist, uh, just has such control over human anatomy. There's some, some absolutely wonderful things happening through here. And this is no like quickie job. Like you can tell that an incredible amount of effort went into each one of these because they're, they're not just line art. They're also each shaded. Uh, so this thing is, is ready to go for inks. Yeah. I mean, like you can even see. You can even see where they're saying, okay, put in the spot black here, do what you need. Uh, it really does look just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, I think I think June is doing just incredible work, and it is almost a shame that this didn't get published just to be like, just so that the world could appreciate June Brigman more. June's doing fine with Mary Worth now. It's okay. June's I think that's terrific. Day. Yeah. I'm happy. I'm happy for June. Oh my gosh. Those, some of these, some of these pieces are so good. Yeah. Um, so near Tokyo, we have, uh, Scott and Alex's grandparents who have, are going on a cruise vacation on a state of the art solar powered cruise ship. This is very exciting and critical to the story. Yeah. Um, they are, and they're just enjoying life. Uh, they're finally getting a break from Alaska and wouldn't you know it, uh, Havoc, their grandson, 
does find out that they're in trouble and he decides he has to go help them out because Moses Magnum is going to mess with their crews. Yes, because the mandroids have come down from the sky and are basically holding the place hostage. And uh, again, Brigman's illustration of you know how Havoc finds this out, the drawing of the grandparents, the way that she draws how Alex's concerned expression uh, before he decides he's going to go off alone uh, thanks to Gateway is great. And the, the premise of this issue is that of course, Havoc is in Australia post Inferno. Um, Cyclops is hanging out and almost lamenting the uh, addition of Nate Gray to the family, which is really weird. He's like, what kind of life am I living for my, living for my son? He has to deal with these hardships of living in a very cool spaceship tower. Yeah, I mean, he's he's really uh, somber about this, which is just stupid. And he's like, how am I going to be a dad? I was an orphan. Um, like, calm down, Cyclops. You're an adult. You, you can figure it out. So Buddy, he flies... I have faith in you, Scott, so much. Yeah. So he flies off, and um, essentially it's a two-pronged attack because Cyclops and Havoc don't meet until they are both uh, in the clutches of Moses Magnum. But and Havoc manages... Yes. Havoc manages to, you know, at least start to take down some mandroids. Um, and then Cyclops teams up with his grandfather and they also do some damage before they, uh, they all team up at the end to, to take down Moses before, I believe the Japanese government just like blows Moses up in his little island. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff going on. You do get what you want. Like Philip Summers does get to fly a spacecraft, which is great. Yes, it's really fun. Uh, Cyclops at one point does disguise himself as a mandroid, um, which is pretty fun. But uh, it does really appear as if uh, Moses Magnum is murdered at the end of this story. <laughs> to be fair, Moses Magnum did try and blow up Japan more than once. Yeah. Uh, so even at the end, Sunfire is grateful to Cyclops and Havoc. He's like, yeah, I know I was a jerk, but uh, you know, you did a good job today and you freed me from this maniac. So thanks a lot. And uh, the grandparents, they, they get to go back on their vacation without Moses Magnum having stolen the technology from the state of the art cruise ship. Spoiler alert. Moses Magnum will be back. <laughs> well i mean this was never published so um even it was if... never published was this published this yeah however this would have been moses magnum's first appearance since those two x-men stories if it would have been published and then we couldn't get such illustrious stuff like uh 1992's Deathlock. <laughs> uh that's a Dwayne mcduffie comic hold on that one might be good okay all right worth checking it's out it's just it's just folks you're never going to get me to read Deathlock. I just, it's never going to happen. happen. Not going to happen. There's, there's too many things in this world for me to experience still that aren't in Deathlock for me to get around to read any more Deathlock than <laughs> I've already read, which is not much. Well, you've read Uncanny X-Force, so uh, you, you've had a little bit of Deathlock in your life. I, I'm aware of the concept of a Deathlock. I did watch Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season one starring Oof. a Deathlock. No, 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 no. Okay. That was... That it, like, it did have a Deathlock in it. I remember. That, you can't argue with the fact that that show did have a Deathlock in it and was about that guy from Aliens uh, who says, hold on to your butts, trying to turn himself into a Deathlock. <sighs> yeah, no, that sure was a show. Uh, More people should hear the explanation of what Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was, because that show gets wild. Oh, the fact that Ghost Rider is on it later? <laughs> the, fact oh that, the fact that Patriot, uh, William Mace, is a main character at a certain point. Oh my god. Uh, the fact that they do a Secret Empire better than Nick Spencer at the same time Nick Spencer was doing a Secret Empire... I have watched way too much of that show. Um, the the fact that one of the characters does get stuck on an alien planet for a while only to be replaced or only to have to go back into this weird door of a super inhuman that the 
Hydra worships? Question mark. I guess I don't know. It depends on what season. There's a lot is. of inhuman stuff in there. Yeah, uh, yeah. They were really trying to make inhumans happen, and it wasn't it happening. Didn't work. <laughs> I think I think everyone involved with that show was, you know, giving it their all at a certain point. But wow, could I not finish watching that series? No, not not for me. Um, what is for me, I think, is this issue. And all of the uh, original artwork with the inked lettering is available online. So uh, we invite you to read that at some point. Um, so I think this does count and it is worth ranking on our giant list. I think it counts. I think it's worth ranking. I also think if they published this issue, we would never, ever, ever think about it, Adam. (laughs) I cannot imagine this being one that we're like, oh, yeah, you remember that time that Moses Magnum and the Mandroids came back? It's definitely the kind of thing that if it popped up as a, a, you know, a fill in issue, you'd be like, okay, that was that was fun. But um, it's the novelty of finding this in that this thing exists. Yes, I will say that in terms of it being from this era, it is a lot better than, let's say, Roy Thomas's shot at it in the uh, summer special. You know, I am so (laughs) curious if the summer special was also supposed to be an inventory issue. The summer special almost reads more like a uh, Marvel Comics presents. It does, but it's paced a little bit differently than Marvel Comics presents, which makes me think maybe it was just to have an X-Men story like Marvel Comics Presents style hold down uh, the Marvel, I say summer, but all the annual specials. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. no, it's it's better than it's better than Roy Thomas's Outback. Oh, 100%. So um, that's at 640 we're... right now, the Marvel nah. Superhero special. Yeah, we're definitely not that low. Um I do think we're probably just, you know, in terms of it not being that important, probably like in the 500s. Like, is this better or worse than Cyclops Retribution at 501? Maybe this is better. I think this is probably worse than Cyclops Retribution. Okay. Okay. I'm just. I think it. I think. I think this is lower than Cyclops Retribution. I think it's got. How do you. Go ahead. All right. Here's. Here's what I'm thinking. Just, just looking at this. I think that I would rather go back to the second Asgard arc of new mutants than this. That's Brett Blevins, but the too long one that does have that fill in issue with Hercules in the middle of it that we were talking about. Yeah. But I think I might rather read this than uncanny X-Men annual eight, the adventures of Lockheed, the space dragon is pet girl kitty. That's about right. That's about, um, look around. Tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong, I would, I would rather reread Alpha Flight 106 than this, which is right okay. under that. Yeah. But I would not rather reread X Factor She Hulk Secret Invasion, that time that uh, we just we just don't talk about some of the art in that. Yeah. Because it, it kind of hurts the legacy of some creators we really like. Well, then uh, let's make it our new 516. I think that's a good place okay. for it. That's good. That's good. We'll go with 516 for Family Ties. This yeah. unpublished inventory issue that is just very weird. Y'all check this out just for the novelty of it. It's fun. So rarely can we say that, oh yeah, go check out this weird, obscure thing. At least read this one and be like, okay, that's a thing that did not actually happen, but could have. Yeah, there's, there's an alternate world where we're like, yeah, man, this one weird issue of Uncanny. I don't <laughs> know about it. I don't know why in Judgment War they took two issues in the middle of it. One to talk about Cyclops in that time that he went to Japan to save his family's cruise ship. (laughs) And the other about Archangel being a sad boy. Um, It's just the way it was. Uh, But definitely worth your time. They stopped doing those because they realized, oh, this is expensive. Yeah. A little confusing. Yeah, there's other... There are a scant few of these out, out there that aren't published. The one that I'm most surprised about is there's a lot of art from a Rob Liefeld new mutants. Uh, right. Fill in. Yeah. The nef- that, that, but that's not complete, right? It's not complete, but it's like, I mean, the arts, the expensive stuff you and right. me could, you and me could script that and like, be like, and we wrote a comic <laughs> with the Rob. We did it today. We don't own the artwork. Uh, I do believe the, the Walter Disney incorporated uh, group. <laughs> 
they do own that legally. Yes. So we can't do anything with it. No, but, but that one's not nearly as uh, complete as this one. So no, because this one is 100% complete, thus allowing it to be on this list. And that's it, folks. That's our episode. Nice. Uh, thanks for coming to 1989 with us. Uh, I want to thank Mitch specifically for coming to 1989 with us. Uh, thanks for all the things I said earlier about Patreon. Hey, Adam, what do you got going on? Well, folks, uh, the day this comes out is the day before my birthday. So happy uh, birthday, Adam. We <laughs> can't sing the whole song because it's wait, no, copyrighted. it's it's fair use now. We got it. Anyway, uh, I, uh, if, if you do hear this in time, um, Tuesday, August 30th, I am doing a little giveaway on Twitter. So if you follow at Arthur Stacy and at comics XF and retweet the, uh, birthday tweet, I am giving away a full page, full color, um, commission of an X character of your choice. So check that out and uh, good luck. And Zach, what do we got going on next week? Um, next week we are going to present some things Marvel Comics style. Ooh, okay. We're doing Marvel Comics present stuff. It'll be weird. Yeah, as always. These are some weird ones. I've got one in here. <laughs> They're all weird. But yes, these are weird. I was about to say, has there ever been a good Marvel Comics present story? And no, Weapon X was serialized in Marvel Comics presents, and that story kills. Uh, There's always that one to, to lean on. Everyone talks about bringing back Marvel Comics Presents. No one talks about bringing back Marvel Comics Presents. What am I saying? What am I saying? <laughs> Anthologies don't sell these days. You would, That would be a wild choice to do. Uh, but until then, folks, this has been Battle of the Adam, and we hope you spread the experience. Get it!